You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, or photos by DLEE. So today we're going to be calling it Keeping It Casual. So usually I start off with my personal updates and some news and the main topic. Main topic is a bit all over the place. As I said, just keeping it casual, I feel like there's a lot of small different things I want to talk about. So I'm just going to do that. So rather than do personal updates, which is pretty much that, let's go straight into the news. So Nikon plans to basically abandon DSLRs by 2025. So this is a bit of a clickbaity article in the sense that Nikon hasn't straight up said, you know, we're getting rid of DSLRs by 2025, but based on the projections from their recent financial statement or whatever, this person has sort of said, you know, this is what's going to be happening based on what their analysis of it is. So do take it with a grain of salt. It's not anything official, but it also wouldn't surprise me. Now, to get into the article, Nikon has revised its medium term management plan and in an eye opening revelation, all about the announcers. Th- all but announces the death of the F-mount. So by 2025, Nikon wants a turnover of 700 billion yen, or 5.5 billion US dollars, I assume, up from 550 billion currently and with an improved operating margin of 10%. The most interesting development is in how it sees the future mix of revenue between its F-mount, which is the DSLRs, and the Z-mount, its mirrorless cameras and lenses. Up to this point, Nikon has been tight-lipped on the split between its interchangeable lens cameras. And while it doesn't go into the number of units sold, it does show the breakdown in revenue. What is remarkable is that even at this stage, mirrorless makes up around 51% of the revenue, and that is expected to rise to 82% by 2025. So DSLRs comprise just 30% with an expected reduction to 4%. This alone is very impressive because you know people question how good or how popular the Z-mount is considering, you know, in terms of AF, it's not as competitive and some of the lens selection is as much as obviously Sony or Canon. But this shows, you know, the fact that their revenue has gone up. People do care about the Z-mount. People are enjoying it. People are buying the cameras, which is always positive and good thing to hear in terms for Nikon. Now, while Nikon has said that parts shortages have been affecting DSLR production and it continues to remove lenses from its website, this would just suggest it is actively all but pulling out of the DSLR market over the next few years. Nikon expects the market to slowly shrink with a greater focus on high-end cameras, meaning the average selling price is likely to rise through selling more expensive model and possibly increased prices. To me, this is a good strategy. If you look at Sony as an example, they're a, I, for, I don't know if they're more pricier, it's maybe not the best way to put it, but they do focus on the high-end a lot more. Their A7R4, you know, the A7R series is more high-end. The A7 9 series, now the A1 series, they do care more about the high end, even with their lenses as well. So it shows that, you know, and they've been successful with their sales, they overtook Nikon for market share as well. And their revenue is pretty quite high as well. So I think, you know, last time it was found that Sony had the largest volume, like money dollar value of sales, whereas Canon shipped the most units. So I think it's because Sony really put everything into their higher end and that's where their main focus is. They don't really care so much about APS-C or your real entry-level stuff. If Nikon is to do the same, I do think it would be good for them, you know, 
it'll be a very strong competition on the higher end then between Nikon, Canon and Sony because Nikon with their Z9, it's already priced extremely competitive. Is it the same level of quality as say the A1 or the R3? I would be reluctant to say since I haven't tried any of them. Jared Poland, who shoots all of them, does seem to think that Canon does have the advantage on the high end. But obviously, you know, it can be a bit subjective. I personally do tend to believe people who shoot all of them regularly. You get some people who, you know, will say one brand is best, but they only shoot that brand, barely ever shoot other brands. You know, for me, someone who owns every single system to me is a bit more credible, but it's not always the case, you know. But either way, if Nikon does plan to get rid of DSLRs by 2025, it wouldn't, you know, seem like a stupid idea. If their Z system is selling parts limited, why focus on something that's, you know, not really going to be existing for much longer? Mirrorless is the present and the future. I think it would be nice for them to keep maybe the D850 line just around and maybe one DSLR from each category. So say the D, I, don't, I honestly don't know how Nikon ones works. I'd say a D850, a D500, I think that's like their equivalent to a 7D series in DSLRs. So keep maybe those two around. That The D780, D850 and the D500 just as like something for people who do still want to buy those and just, you know, focus purely on mirrorless. But obviously, you know, they're trying to enter other markets as well. I think they're doing medicals. I can't remember what other area they're entering, but their focus is moving sort of more towards there. So that would probably affect how much money they have to put in to photography. Because if they're putting limited budget into photography, they'd need to be more conservative with how they spend it. So I would say that's where mirrorless would win over DSLRs. The next story, a bit more of a big one. So Canon has announced the and launched the launch. Oh, sorry, Canon has announced the launch of the R7 and R10 cameras, which are bringing APS-C to the Canon RF mount, which was up until now strictly a full-frame mount. So this is very exciting. So Canon has announced two new APS-C crop sensor RF mount cameras: the Canon EOS R7 and the R10. So the R7 is the spiritual successor to the 7D series, while the R10 brings a rebel-like camera to Canon's mirrorless lineup, which to me, I always thought was the M series, but I guess not. So now the Canon EOS R7 is described as a compact and lightweight and is the mirrorless successor to both the 90D and the 7D, because the 90D did go up a bit higher end and they said that was more like a 70 Mark III, so... And though Canon says that neither of these cameras are currently being discontinued, so if you're looking or own a 90D or a 70D something, or looking to buy one for some reason, you can celebrate in that. The R7 features a newly developed 32.5 megapixel sensor that has a 1.6 crop factor when compared to a Canon full-frame camera. Now, this part is very interesting. So I was surprised that they're using that. When you hear that 32.5, you assume it's the same sensor as the Canon EOS 90D, because I believe that one has a very similar size. So yes, the 90D does have a 32.5 megapixel sensor. They do say it's a newly developed, so I assume maybe they took that sensor from the 90D and have made some improvements that they weren't possible without the Digic X processor and hopefully improved the high ISO, that kind of stuff, the readout, and made it into something brand new. So as the next point, Digic X processor, which can shoot up to 15 FPS in mechanical and 30 FPS in electronic, which I think matches the R3. And is better than my R6. My R6 can only do 12, I believe, in mechanical and 20 in electronic. This camera uses two UHS-2 SD card slots. Good to see. 
uh, dust and moisture moisture dust and moisture resistant in a way that is comparable to the Canon 90D. It has an LP E6 NH battery. I believe that's the same as the R6 as well. The company says that the autofocus system is inherited from the R3, and while it can't shoot at the same speeds as Canon's current top-of-the-line sports shooter because it lacks a backside illuminator, it is functionally the same. It has eye, car, and animal autofocus, just like all the higher-end bodies. 4K 60fps, yes, I mentioned it. 612 grams, so a little bit lighter, I believe, than the R6, but still pretty light. And the Canon EOS R7 will be available later this year. I heard on one thing I think said about in June, for 1500 as the body only US and 1900 paired with the new RFS 18-50mm f3.5-6.3 to IS STM lens. So pricing wise, this body, you know, I wouldn't say it's obviously super cheap. I never really paid attention to the 7D line, so I don't know how it sort of compares with those. I do think it probably could be priced a little bit more cheaper, more aggressive, but in all honesty, with what this camera offers, I feel personally it's more high-end than what the 7D series was. At the same time, I always seen like the 7D series as being like the 1D equivalent in the APS-C world. The whole really fast readout, two UHS-2 card slots, it's really impressive. In Australia, the body only is around 22, so just under 2300 AUD, which is obviously significantly quite a bit. Not too much higher, I think, than the US pricing. It is still quite high. It is marked up a bit, as they always do here. But I think for people who are into wildlife, want a second body, just to accompany their full frame ones, this would be a really great option. I know I've heard some people who use, say, the 90D and all that were questioning how good the high ISO performance was, because apparently on the 90D and that it wasn't that great. But we'll wait and see what people think of this one whether you know that new digit processor and this newly developed sensor is much better in terms of high ISO performance but generally with APS-C sensors you know they're not as great as full frame when it comes to that. Next the Canon EOS R10 is Canon's mirrorless successor to the Rebel and the M50 Mark II cameras which are not being discontinued surprisingly. Canon's Stop short of saying that the M series was being replaced and instead positioned the R10 as a camera that can be considered another option in a similar price tier. So very interesting way of saying it. The R10 features a newly developed 24.2 megapixel APS-C sensor, which has the same 1.6 times crop factor as the R7, does not have a stacked or backside illuminated sensor. There is no IBIS, unlike the R7, which does have IBIS. The Digic X processor, which allows 15 FPS with manual shutter and then 23 FPS with the electronic. It doesn't quite hit the 30 like the R7. It also inherits AF from the R3, but not as quickly as it isn't a backside illuminated sensor. It weighs only 426 grams, pretty light. And the camera features one UHS-2 SD card slot, a built-in flash, Canon's multifunction hot shoe, and a joystick on the rear of the camera to make navigating the menu easier, which is unusual addition for a camera in this price tier. I remember back, you know, even the 6D wouldn't get a joystick originally. It was seen as a more of a high-end one. So Canon has done really well on this. You have to give them credit when it comes to, you know, stuff like that. Complain about stuff that they should be adding and give them credit when they deserve it. It also uses a LPE17 battery, which I thought was a bit strange, which is what I believe the M15 that used, which is quite a small one. The Canon EOS R10 will be available later this year for 980 as a body only, 1100 with the new RFS 18-45 to 
f4.5 to 6.3 is stm or 1380 with the new rfs 18 to 150 f3.5 to 6.3 is stm but yeah obviously they released two new lenses as well now in terms of aud pricing this is the interesting part so 980 is a body only i'm pretty damn sure that that's way more than what the rebels would cost in the us here you know rebels i remember when i got my rebel t2i i think it was a 550d kiss x4 whatever you want to call it depending on where you are that one was about 600 whereas this one aud with the lens it's around 1589 which is obviously not cheap body only 1449 so that's obviously much higher price compared to what a rebel is so it's hard to say in the us because i don't know the us pricing of the m series but if i look purely at the aud pricing for example the m50 mark ii goes for around 900 at the moment whereas this is 1400 so if you look at it that sense you could actually justify keeping both lines around the m series is your very light very cheap more consumer friendly slow fps like what i said before it actually has its place whereas this is a lot more high-end i was actually surprised by how high the specs on this camera is considering they're trying to call the rebel even if you look at the design of the cameras although the build probably isn't as rugged and as solid as what you would see on you know your r6 and your r5 they generally have the same body shape same shell you know that kind of style as your full frame bodies i kind of like how they took that from sony sony if you look at you know the a7 straight up a7 series a7r a1 they all have that similar body shape and design that's what canon have done with this which i do like my one gripe is i know i actually asked this online as well but i didn't get very warm receptions to the idea i would have been interested to see canon go with a 1.5 crops factor some people like the one point was well, not some it seems the majority do like the 1.6 crop factor and see it better as having the extra reach you know who cares about third party but considering fuji does 1.5 nikon does 1.5 i believe i'm pretty sure and sony do 1.5 i would have liked to see this be a 1.5 times crop factor as well you know certain third party lenses if you manage to adapt them they work very differently because you know although it's usually for mirrorless say like your sigma 56 millimeter on efm or your sigma 60 millimeter they're made with the 1.5 crop factor so when you use you know that 56 it's an 84 millimeter on fuji and sony and Leica or whatever whereas when you use on canon it's more like 90 i think it was millimeters closer to that same goes for the 16 the 16 was more like 27 or something whereas on sony and all that 24 so that is one way they could have gone it does look like although they're doing APS-C options i don't think they really care honestly about APS-C they're more doing it so they have some offerings so they don't lose someone to say nikon who have the z50 or over even over the sony or fuji or whatever because you know using these same sensors it looks pretty much like they're using the same 24 megapixel sensor which they say has been a new developed one i believe they yeah they do say newly developed for both sensors but they seem to just be based off the same old sensors we've been seeing in the add for like five six years i don't know since yeah since the add that same sensor and this same sensor from canon for the 32.5 megapixels we've seen in the m6 mark ii and the 90d those are decent sensors so there's no real harm in that but well the older the m50 sensor is quite old so but the newer one you know the 90d m6 mark ii one is newer i would have liked to see something different maybe like they go 1.5 and try something completely different with this mount especially considering the lens mounts so much bigger but 
they are more than likely just trying to minimize costs and R&D. So reusing all these sort of designs and just sort of slightly improving on them, doing a bit more of an incremental update to them to make their costs while actually still entering the market. But they definitely do work, I'd say, alongside the M series. Whether or not, you know, um, that works in the future, who knows, but we'll see. Last but not least, Sony announces it's restarting production of its A6400 APS-C camera. So last December, amidst the ongoing chip shortage, Sony Japan announced it was ceasing production of its A6400 APS-C mirrorless camera. While the chip shortage is still affecting consumer electronics production across the globe, it appears as though the supply chain is less constrained than it was at its peak, as Sony Japan has confirmed it will resume production of its A6400 camera system. Orders are resuming again from May 27th, 2022, and according to the insider imaging, AKM Semiconductor produced audio chip components for most Japanese camera makers with analog to digital converters, ADCs being the component most likely to impact camera production. Whatever it was caused Sony to cease production, it appears although the issue has been sorted out enough to restart production of the A6400, Sony has also stopped production of all A7 II series cameras at the time, but no mention has made regarding restarting production of these models, which I personally don't think they need to. Now, this one, obviously good if you're looking at getting a Sony APS-C. The A6400 was like a pretty good position camera. It had real-time tracking, so you're going to get much better autofocus. And it was that little bit better. I can't remember how they differentiate them because there's so many. There was the A6100, A64, A65, A66. They all, their APS-C lineup was a bit confusing and because they keep around the previous generations, which was a 63 and a 6500, it's a little bit different. But yeah, you know, this is good. If you're looking to get one, this is something you can keep your eye out for. Maybe buy one once they come on sale again. I don't know when Sony will replace them. Who knows with that? Everyone, you know, not everyone, a lot of people have been eager to see a Sony APS-C with an A7 style body. You know, like what Canon have done with the R10 and the R7, which I personally think they should do, but each person likes something different. So yeah, that's it. That is also it for the news. So what we'll do is get onto the main topics now. As I mentioned before, this week, I thought I'd just talk about a few different things. As the topic title suggests, just keeping it casual few different updates regarding all related to photography. I'm not going to talk about wrestling. <laughs> well, now I just talked about wrestling, but otherwise, first thing first, I'm going to look like a fool, whoever listens to this regularly, but I bought a Fuji XS10 and the 23mm f1.4 LMWR lens. So I did say that, you know, I only want to mess with full frame, don't want to mess with APS-C no more. But looking at it, you know, aside from getting another Canon body, which I don't know, it just didn't seem appealing to me. If I look at other brands for full frame, nothing really tickles my pickle, <laughs> tickles my fancy or anything. Because if I look at something like Nikon, the Z5, which does look like a decent enough body, even has IBIS, it doesn't have a fully articulating screen. So that's like a deal breaker for me. If I look at Sony, something like a, well, pretty much any of their bodies don't have fully articulate, full frame ones don't have fully articulating screen unless I go a74 which is like nearly four grand and that's not like a cheap second hand but check second body so that would obviously only leave APS-C well because I don't think Panasonic Panasonic are pretty pricey here in Australia as well so which brought me back to that and the main reason I didn't want to keep using APS-C well my M50 not because like I'm a I'm a bit of a full frame snob but it wasn't so much that it was more that I didn't need the full frame I said that before like APS-C was such good quality so I felt I could use it all the time. So 
This Fuji XS10, although I don't know if I'm having buy, I haven't got it yet. I've ordered it, still waiting for it to be delivered. But at the time of release, I may actually have the camera though. But there's just something about it, you know, it does have its good parts. There are definitely shortcomings that I can already see that sort of like, did I really make the right choice? But you know, here in Australia, renting is very expensive. There's pretty much no rental option. So even if I keep it for six months, use it for what I need it for and then sell it, you know, I'll keep my stuff in good condition. It'll be like new anyway. That's okay, you know. I'll just cut my losses and that's it. But I guess we'll see how we go. Otherwise, you know, why I bought it, I did still want that second camera. I want something small and light that I can carry around and this fits the bill. So the Fuji XS10, I think it's around 400 something grams, sort of similar to the R10. Now that 23 millimeter, I was a bit conflicted of what lens to get. So first I was looking at the 33 millimeter F1.4. That's a newer one. They have a newer version from Fuji. That one looks really good. It was always between that and the 23 millimeter as my first lenses. Now, I was thinking if I get that one, it's sort of like the one and only lens I would get. Because, you know, if 33 times 1.5 is around 50 millimeters. So that would be like the general use, you know, fits every case kind of lens. But I do really like 50 millimeter. But for some things, I feel like it's too wide. I mean, sorry, too narrow, especially when it comes to cityscapes, landscapes, that kind of stuff. Anything people related, it's sometimes better. I say sometimes, if you know you're using it casually and you want to take a photo of a group of people, wider can definitely be better. But they're both f1.4. The 23 millimeter works out to 35 millimeters in, you know, full frame equivalent. So if I get that plus the 85, which the 85, when I say 85, I mean the Sigma 56 millimeter f1.4, because I already know that lens is optically absolutely amazing. So AF wise, I'm sure it would be really good as well. I'll get that and yeah, I'll see how both work out. In the future, I think it's either that 23 only or Sigma do their 18 to 15 millimeter f2.8. So that would be around 20, I think it's a 27 or 28 to 75. So it's pretty much like, you know, Tamron's 28 to 75 on full frame. If I got that lens, one lens travel kit pretty much because Fuji have said that Oh, sorry, not Fuji. Sigma have said that 18 to 15 millimeter is in development for Fuji. So just pretty much a matter of waiting for it to come out. And when I get that, I could literally just travel with APS-C, just with the Fuji, the so we pretty much all the Fuji, that freelance kit, which would be super light. I'd maybe just need like a super wide prime in that, like I think there was a Tuki Tamron 11 millimeter. I don't know if it was just for Sony or they're releasing on Fuji as well. I can't remember. If that's on Fuji, I'd be very, very happy because I'd probably just go for that. But otherwise, you know, that's the short term plan, just using Fuji. And I'm not going to lie, I'm tempted to keep the M50 as well, but there's no real need for two APS-C cameras, like having three cameras. I just, I'm not really nostalgic about camera gear. I do, you know, buy and sell a lot. I haven't been nostalgic since maybe my very first Rebel, or the Rebel I kind of got rid of pretty easy. The two items I've been very nostalgic about was my EF 35mm, because I absolutely love that EM 35mm, EF, sorry, 35F2IS. That was like my first 35, absolutely loved it. I would have kept it and never used it if I could just keep it for the second keeping it, but that's an expensive paperweight then. Otherwise, the 6D, because I won... I didn't win that. I won a competition which paid for that. And at that time I was really broke. So that held so much sentimental value to me as well. So it's sort of like that. But then with the EFM gear, the body I've changed a lot. I went for M3 to M5, sold both those, M50 Mark II. But this 22 millimeter I've had since the start. So 
it's a very cheap lens. Obviously, you know, I could technically keep it, but it's why if I'm not going to keep any of the bodies, why keep it? One thing I could do, which I shouldn't even convince myself to do now, but I think the Canon do like, I don't even know the name of it, like an M10 or an M100. Those, I believe, are very tiny and sort of like point and shoots. If I bought one of those and then put the 22 millimeter on that, that would work very well. Some very small compact, but once again, spending money I don't need to. And from what I can see, those are around like $900. So it's quite a bit, you know, I would rather just sell it and keep that money and pay off the Fuji and be better off that way than get like an M200 or M100 or whatever. So I would guess I will be saying goodbye to my EOSM gear. After I record this, I actually need to take photos to sell it. If you're in Sydney and then I may, hopefully I will have sold it by the time this episode released, but who knows, you know, sometimes with eBay can be more successful. Gumtree, which is, you know, I guess like the equivalent to Craigslist for those in America. I also recently went to Melbourne. So this weekend will be one week, you know, since I got back kind of thing from Melbourne. We only went for four days for a wedding. I had all this photography stuff planned, going to do cityscapes, going to do all that. Sadly, the weather did not agree with me. It wasn't raining, but it was so overcast that there was just no lighting. Now you get different kinds of like cloudy skies. You get your light cloud skies, very light clouds. Those are really good because you still got sun, you still got light coming through. Then you got those just, you know, like really mid to light gray skies, just a very thick cloud. So it's very hazy almost where you got no lighting. Those ones are very bad for like cityscapes, you know, or landscapes because there's no nothing interesting about the light. It's just very flat. Then you got those crazy skies. So the ones that, you know, look like you could have Armageddon coming at you because of the storm. Those ones are really good. Those are a bit more unique with the lighting and coloring. Those I really like. But sadly in Melbourne, it was all the flat ones. The only day that the lighting was really good and the skies would have been perfect for sunset was the day I had a wedding to attend. So I wasn't able to. So this is the second time I've gone to Melbourne. Second time I've not been able to do any photos Aside from just very casual snapshot kind of stuff, which I'm going to be adding to photos by DOE very soon. I thought I'd released another post weeks ago when I was looking at how, you know, my recent post, I seen there hadn't been anything, which was, oh God. So I'm going to try and quickly get those posts out as fast as I can. The few mobile, mo- mobile, mobile and photos, as well as those ones from the previous walkabout that I had in Circular and that. And then once I get the Fuji camera, I'm hoping I'm going to be shooting a lot more, trying to do something a bit different now, trying to get out and shoot more. We have Vivid right now in Sydney as well. So I'll probably go to that a few times, especially with the Fuji, try and see what I can capture. Otherwise, I really do need to get out and enjoy photography again. I feel like I need to just shoot and edit way more. My confidence in my own editing has really gone down. I'm not sure why. I just don't feel I have the same skill when it comes to editing anymore. I know they say practice makes perfect. The more you do something, the more you are good at it. Sometimes I edit a photo and I look at it and I'm like, wow, I actually got it. Well, I do think two things that have caused me issues is number one, my mo- my display, my monitor. Now, I actually have a really nice monitor. It's a excellent, it's a LG 27 GL850 if anyone's interested, but it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's a wide color gamut. So that has really changed the way I edit because Obviously, if I make it look super vibrant on this, it's going to be extremely vibrant on the normal one. You know, it's sort of, you have to be very careful. Something desaturated on this would be maybe still quite saturated on a normal monitor or, you know, like a mobile display or whatever. But the other thing is, I feel even though I've owned the camera for over a year, I'm still not used to Canon anymore. 
I got so used to the way Sony's sensor and colors, maybe not so much colors, but the sensor worked. I really missed the zebra lines because with Sony, you know, and apparently Fuji doesn't even have it either. So Canon and Fuji are horrible in dropping the ball in that regard. They need to have zebra lines. So that way, you know, you know, if I go one third of a stop higher, I'm going to blow my heart light. So dial it down one third of a stop. And that way you're still keeping maximum detail in the shadows, maximum detail in the highlights that's still recoverable and you're good. But I don't know why. It's just, I found certain ways of editing. I got a really good groove in Lightroom and then they updated it and changed the whole masking system, which I had a certain way of working with it before, which doesn't work now when they changed it. It maybe does, but I just don't understand it well enough when it comes to editing the luminance parts of that. But, you know, I continue to try. It just sometimes takes me multiple times to edit an image over and over before I get it the way I like. I may, you know, do more videos on YouTube again soon for editing related. It's always a space issue. So in my place I stay, we have a one bed studio. So pretty much the way my desk is, is pretty much out in the living room. I don't have that space to be able to record quietly, you know, because we're living on top of each other. Not, not that bad. Our place is kind of spacious, but at the same time, it's not like a separate room. Once we do eventually get a place that has a dedicated study and I have a desk, I will probably really up my YouTube game. But then by then, probably YouTube will be dead. But <laughs> honestly, I would love to be able to record Let's Play videos, which is something I want to do one day, you know, get a full boom arm for my mic, be able to have multiple displays for my PC. All of that I got planned, but it's just a case of being able to get space to do it and get a desk and that kind of stuff. But yeah. Otherwise, that is pretty much it for this episode. I've rambled on enough. I hope you enjoyed the more casual nature of it. Me just talking about, you know, my new Fuji camera, joining the Team Fuji as well as Team Canon, doing all that stuff, my trip. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure to subscribe. You know, I do release an episode every fortnight. I could do every week if I had ideas for topics, but that's usually the hardest part. So that's where I do every fortnight. So I don't sort of burn out in that sense. Otherwise, if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to thephotographyenthusiast.com or subscribe to me on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, I think Stitcher as well, or RSS feed. If you want to see my personal photography, you can find me at photosbydlwe.com. I'm the same on Twitter as well. All these links are in the show notes, so you don't have to go far to find them. Otherwise, if you'd like to suggest a topic, there's also in the show notes, there's a link there. You should be able to click on that to suggest a topic. Otherwise, you can do that at the Photography Enthusiast as well. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Take care and enjoy your new camera gear. I'll be up maybe next fortnight. I reckon I should be able to do my first impressions of Fuji system. So yeah, take care. See ya.